Hello, everyone, and welcome to The Wrap, brought to you by Michigan Medicine Headlines. I'm Dan Elman with the Department of Communication. Today, June 19th, is Juneteenth. In honor of this important holiday, we will be discussing the context around it and what the organization is doing to help address racial disparities within the community and improve its internal climate. Before we dive into that conversation, you can find all previous conversations we've had on The Wrap. All episodes can be found on iTunes, Google Play, Stitcher, or any other podcast hosting platform. And the newest episodes can also be found on YouTube as we work from home to help the community remain on the downside of the COVID-19 curve. With that, let's chat about these timely and frankly very vital issues facing our communities today. To do that, we're joined by Community Health Services Director Alfreda Rooks and Employee Communication Manager Jennifer Williams. Thank you both for being here. Now, Alfreda, let's start with you. Can you share with us what Juneteenth means to you? And as the holiday gains more widespread publicity, specifically what you see it meaning to the community itself? So then that's a very interesting question. And as I contemplated this question, um, I thought about what it meant to me and what it means to me. Um, my family is originally from Birmingham, Alabama, and I can count and, and trace our lineage back to being able to say that I am fourth generation free slave. Um, in my family. And so it's not so much of a celebration, but it is a solemn occasion um, and a celebration all wrapped into one, an acknowledgement, number one, that there were still um, people of African descent who did not know for you know nearly two years that they had been emancipated, that they were free. Um, and so it marks the celebration of that liberation, but it also has, for me, um, a solemn tone to it that there were still people who were in bondage who did not know um, that they were free, that they had choices, that they could um, walk away, that they did not have to stay where they were and be treated the way that they were treated. Um, so that's what it means personally to me. But for that, the second half of that question about what it means to the community, um, I don't think I'm the greatest spokesperson for that. Um, only because I can only speak from the perspective of my lived experiences and for people who are in Texas, who are native Texans, um, who are African descent may see things differently or feel things differently. Um, and so I can only say that it is a recognition, it's an acknowledgement, it's um, a sorrow mixed with joy um, at knowing that there was a better tomorrow for people. Yeah. And I think so much of that is, you know, wrapped up in sort of recent events and hoping for a better tomorrow, right? And I think that we're seeing that internally within the organization too, where it's sort of, you know, the events of the past few weeks have been eye-opening toward what's happening with the African-American community and what we can do at Michigan Medicine that can help change that climate. And Jenna, I'll, I'll sort of focus this question on you. What are some realistic action plans that the organization can take to help change the climate? Well, as you know, with anything, change certainly starts within. And in order for the organization to change, people in influential roles must look at themselves and they must look at their departments and assess if they're really demonstrating diversity. Um, I mean, hiring people or more people of color, you know, once the freeze is over, um, is certainly an obvious option because representation in all departments really, really matters. And of course, just putting more people of color in leadership. Um, I think that trainings need to be more in depth on diversity, experiences, real stereotypes and real disparities. 
um, establishing the employee resource groups to really provide that support and that guidance. Um, and then also when it comes to just resources in general, making sure that everyone is represented. May it be, you know, what may be the norm for a certain group of people may not necessarily be the same for another. So really ensuring that the messaging and the support is truly, truly inclusive. Um, I can speak as being a proud member of the Department of Communication. I believe that we have been and we will continue to use our internal platforms to represent um, Black people and also all people of color. Um, we have been making sure that um, we're not only getting those chosen few for photos or videos, but instead like making other connections and really highlighting the great work that other people are doing as well. Um, we're telling the stories of what the organization, well, we will be telling the stories of what the organization um, is actually doing to fight systemic racism. Um, and I'm actually very proud to be a part of the Diversity Means More campaign. Um, in which we are sharing what diversity means to individuals of our workforce and really highlighting both the good and the bad experiences um, that people have experienced at Michigan Medicine. Um, I mean, it's our job to keep the conversation going and to, in order to keep the conversation going, um, I feel like the organization has to want to change in order for it to actually change. Mm -hmm. Yeah, and I think we're starting to sort of see those gears start to go into motion a little bit, but but obviously it's going to take a lot of work and it's going to take a lot of work from all members of the organization, yeah. no matter what role you play. Uh, Alfreda, I'll direct this now to you. What sort of things, and I know Jen mentioned it a tiny bit, that there are things and in, in, in important work being carried out at Michigan Medicine to help address systemic racism or racial disparities uh, in the community, not necessarily at home at Michigan Medicine, but in the community where Michigan Medicine resides. Uh, can you talk a little bit about some of these this work that's being done or some plans that are, are being put into motion that will help address these disparities? So I think the first thing that is important to recognize and understand that um, when we talk about health disparities, most health disparities are linked to the racial disparities of, of people's lived environment um, and their experiences. And so in order for us to address um, racial disparities, we really have to also look at health disparities. And that's the that's kind of the, the, the sandbox that I play in is looking at what our health disparities are. Um, more than likely they are negatively impacting our black and brown brothers. Um, and so how can we create programming education that also um, addresses the, the social needs that they have, but also those determinants, those environments and community. And so we work from that place. And if I can give you an example of recently um, with the, in the height of the COVID epidemic, um, pandemic, when um, we were looking at results, there was a national article that came out about the disparities that were seen in the 48197, 48198 zip codes of Ypsilanti. And coming together, working with um, the St. Joe Health System, working with the Washington County Public Health Department, working with the racial equity officer and the county administrator um, to put testing in those communities. And so Michigan Medicine, um, we ramped up, provided PPE testing kits and we got volunteers. Um, more than 40 volunteers um, came out to help in some kind of way with us in those two communities. And so we were able to test almost 400 people um, doing the three sites that we held 
um, to do the COVID testing and, and provide some resources for those folks. We did education. If you were negative today, it was important for us to understand, for them to understand that just because you're negative today does not mean that you won't be negative. You'll still be negative tomorrow because you can be exposed. And so giving people that education. The key and important piece of that is that we didn't have them come to Michigan Medicine. We had Michigan Medicine go to them. And so we were in West Willow um, and we had people who came who said, thank you so much for bringing this to us where we could access it. And that's one of the things that I think that we have to think about is as we're looking at providing services, what are those barriers that people have to accessing that care and how are we defining number one, access. For us, most of the time, we define access as wait time, as being able to see the doctor, what type of appointment it's gonna be, who you're gonna see. But for the community, when we talk about access, it's, do I have to take a bus? Is there one bus? Is there three buses? Can I get there? Does the bus run there? If I can't get there, can I afford an Uber? If I can't afford an Uber, where can I get this or how can I get this? And so it's that as we are making our plans that we think about the systems and the structures that we put in place that negatively impact people's ability to access the care. And it's not just about having um, a, a center that's like in that neighborhood, it's what's also contained in that center. What are the other services that they need that we need to provide for them? Um, and again, making it more accessible. Is, are they limited English proficient? Do we have interpreters that are there? Do we have materials that are translated in the languages that they understand? Because most people process information in their native tongue. Um, if they're hard of hearing or deaf, do we have sign language interpreters that are there? If they are visually impaired or blind, are we making sure that the forms that we're giving them are 14 point or larger so they can read them without assistance or without glasses? So these are all the things that we need to be thinking about as we're talking about how we address those disparities. Um, and, and those are the important things. So I'll stop there because I don't want to, um, I want to have Jennifer at the opportunity. She's looking like she's got something to say. <laughs> <laughs> no, no, I think you, I, I, I think everything that you said, I 100% agree with. So who are some of the partners that Michigan Medicine is working with externally to help sort of overcome these, you know, disparities or barriers? Um, that, that's a very important point. We have to work in partnership. We cannot do these things by ourselves. And we also need the different experiences or different community contacts that our partners bring to the table to help us craft a broad um, and inclusive strategy for addressing these issues. And so we work with the Washington Health Department. Um, we work with the racial equity officer. We work with various faith-based organizations um, individually and collectively. Um, we work with the Washington Health Plan. We work with the Washington Health Initiative. We have programs within community health services that are what I call community anchored and outward facing um, that provide that, um, that bridge to the services that we have at Michigan Medicine. So when I think about the work of the Housing Bureau for Seniors and, and what we're able to do in um, Washtenaw County, specifically Ypsilanti, about the resources that we have to make sure that people can stay homes, primarily our seniors, that they're able to be um, age in place and hours at home because that's very important. Stable housing, when we talk to community, because that's the other piece, that's one of our biggest partners, our community themselves, who we go to and we ask these questions and they tell us what is health. When we said, what is health to you? 
And our senior says help to us is stable and secure housing because we know that insecure housing creates stress, creates anxiety. Those things can also lead to additional health negative impacts, both mentally and physically and emotionally. Um, we have our program for multicultural health that works on an individual basis with different um, communities. Um, with Eastern Michigan, we have a, part, a project with them that we partner around family empowerment, where we're providing health education and health promotion um, to really and truly help with this next generation. We work with community health, our, our community health needs assessment is actually done in partnership with the St. Joe's in both Chelsea and Ann Arbor, where we look at from the health system perspective, what are those priorities that we need to be facing and addressing that happens in our community? And so we have three, um, and they are mental health and substance use disorder, obesity and its related illnesses, and preconceptual and perinatal health for both mother and baby. And all of those things are negatively impacted by racial disparities and systemic racism that's, in, in, that's prevalent in our society and in our community and what those structures do to keep people in those places. Yeah. Now let's turn back a little bit um, more internally again. And so Jen, I'll have you answer this first, but Alfreda, feel free to jump in. In the next five years and in response to systemic racism and sort of the structure that's already in place, what changes at Michigan Medicine do you hope to see? Uh, oof, a lot. Um, I think just speaking also from you know what Alfreda said, it's 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 a much larger issue than um, you know what the organization can do. I mean, there's so many different people that you have to get involved. But for me, it it's really the hope for faculty, staff, students to be hired and or accepted. Um, as a normal practice and not a box on a checklist or a favor, because in order for the community to, the community systems to change, leadership has to change. Um, and I say that very strongly um, based on a video, um, I'm not sure if you all saw, but last year when Van Jones spoke at the DEI summit, um, he really talked about how you have to have um, diversity at all tables because in order to move forward and to excel at you know what, what we're doing, um, you have to have people of all races, all, um, all experiences, all different points of views. And I think that in five years, I would hope that Michigan Medicine can reflect that, can reflect the community and really begin to dive deep and change the policies and really develop um, even more and deeper community relationships um, to both service our internal staff and then also the community. So um, I think it's it's I think we're on the right track, and I think that we have a lot of great people in place right now that are able to push the initiatives and um, really change for for the better. Well, I agree with with Jennifer. I do, but I think there's for me it's something a little bit more basic too. It's that it's wonderful to write a policy, but how are you holding people accountable to it? And so for me, that means that if we're talking about, we are an organization that is based in our, one of our, our values and the tenets of what we're going to do and our biggest initiative is diversity, equity, and inclusion. Then when we have consultants who come in, 
who we are consulting with, then they need to know this is who we are. This is how we're going to be engaged in business. And their team needs to reflect that. So if their team does not have that reflection and not just a token person of color to say we can get this contract, but if their team is not also um, very much enmeshed and engaged and committed to doing that work too, then that's just not a contract that we do. That we look at what our, our policies are for how we're hiring. And when we are hiring and everybody looks the same in the department, that there is somebody who's going, wait up, let's have a conversation about this. What are you doing to recruit? How are you recruiting? Where are you recruiting? Um, because this is not reflective of the population that you serve, it's not reflective of the community that we engage with, and you need to be strong enough and have that voice to say that. Um, I think that we need to start internally within our own departments. What are our hiring practices? What are we doing? What do our teams look like? Are we lazy about it? Do we just, we don't put the extra effort in to make sure that we are exhausting everything? Are there strategies that we're using to make sure that we're using blind, um, blind interview processes and resume reviews so that we can make sure that we're getting the best candidate and not look at Shaniqua's name and go, oh, that's not a person we want to have in our department, you know? But then more importantly, our leadership has to not just talk it, but they have to also walk it. It's about the deeds and the actions that you do. It's, you know, communications puts out some really great um, stories and articles, but the most important piece of that is, are we really, when you look at that article and you read those words, do our deeds and our actions align with that? Because if our messaging and our actions are not aligned, then in five years, we will not have changed anything. We'll still have those same systems that are in place. We need to have pipelines, even for our employees who come in in environmental services or, or the lower paid jobs in our institution so that if there is an opportunity for them to be educated to become surgical techs, phlebotomists, those careers that we're gonna need in five years, let's put those things in place right now. Yes, we have a hiring freeze, but there are things that we can be doing right now to prepare us to come out on the other side of fiscal year 21, to make sure that we are moving toward the kind of system where our employees are not relying on food banks for their added sustenance, that they're not, um, walking to work half the way because they can't really afford to like have a car and they've got to walk five miles to get to the place where they can get the bus, which luckily you can ride it for free, but you still got to get to the bus stop. So what are we doing to make sure that those who are the least of us in our organization, the least paid, the least educated, that we can help them? Because one of the ways that you address one of the biggest um, factors involved in systemic racism is by making sure that people are educated making sure that people have a living wage that they can live on and making sure that people have access to appropriate healthcare when they need it. Yeah, and I think that that actually positions Michigan Medicine uniquely, right, to have an impact on racial disparities across the region and across the state and across the country, right? I mean, if correct me if I'm wrong, but, but a lot of times, you know, patients will have better outcomes when they're meeting with physicians or nurses or other caregivers who look like them or who can relate to them and understand sort of what they're going through. And if Michigan Medicine doesn't have providers that, and I know, Alfreda, you mentioned this, you know, briefly earlier, if there aren't providers who, you know, reflect the population in general and the patients that we're trying to see and we're trying to help, then their healthcare will suffer. Mm -hmm. 
But there's a flip side to that, Daniel. And that is that when we have behaviors that are based in racism or bigotry, that we have to hold accountable people for that. They have to be mm-hmm. held accountable. And that if the messaging is, this is not what we accept within our organization, then we have to, again, make sure that our deeds align with that. Um, Out in the community, we don't have the best reputation because of how we treat people. Um, And partly it's because of that, that people don't often see people who look like them or can't engage with them or understand. And it does indeed make it difficult. Um, The other piece of that is when we are so embedded in the what I call the patriarchal system of medicine, where I am the physician, this is what I tell you that you need to do, this is what you do, and if you don't do it, then you're non-compliant. Well, I wanna change that language. Um, I want, instead of it to be about being compliant or non-compliant, that it is a partnership where the patient is actively engaged um, in their own health and well-being, and that they can have the conversation with that provider that says, look, this medicine that you gave me my prescription only covers 50% of it and it's still a $75 copay. I can't afford that. Is there something else that we can do? You know, having those conversations and it shouldn't always be about the patient having to educate. It should be the physician being educated enough to engage and have that kind of dialogue with the patient. Uh You know, to ask those important questions and not just assume because the person chose to either pay rent their light bill or buy food, as opposed to getting this medicine, that they're not compliant with what their healthcare is provider is saying to them. And so those are the the things that we have to work on to really and truly address the disparities around healthcare um, and health, as well as around race. Yeah, and I think that also speaks to really changing a lot of our trainings and, you know, when employees are coming in and being hired, you know, the things that they are, um, that they're being educated on. Um, I think that's a huge opportunity to really um, establish um, new and and really more in-depth trainings, but then also that helps change the culture. Um, I know, you know, internally, um, you know, there are there are a lot of uh, microaggressions and things that happen um, from you know all departments, and I think that once we really kind of put our foot down and people are open to, um, you know, kind of changing themselves, like we change the culture. We change how, by changing the culture at Michigan Medicine internally, that is also how you can help physicians, you know, be kinder and, and be more understanding with patients and and knowing, you know, these health disparities. And it it, it really, I'm, I'm such a huge advocate for, you know, really kind of looking at yourself and looking at your department and saying, how are we, how are we really, really making change within ourselves? How are we bringing people into the organization? Um, I've been privileged to um, be part of the medical student um, second look weekend that talks about disparities. And I've been on a panel that speaks specifically about um, the transgender community because for years I ran that program for Michigan Medicine. And one of the things that I talk about is that as you're, you're doing this, it's, it's very simple. It's about respect. It's a very basic thing is respect and listening to the other person. Now, when we listen, though, we listen through um, our filters. What are our experiences? What, how was the last time we, we met a person like this? Um, how did they treat me? All of these things go into how we engage and connect with other people. 
And so having very open, honest, and respectful dialogue with medical students, with providers, with all of these folks, um, I think it's, it's going to be very important to um, changing that culture within our organization. But first, we got to recognize that we do indeed have a problem. Uh-huh. And then we have to be honest enough to say, we don't know how to solve this ourselves. Let's talk to some people and see what they have to say about how um, that's what I call being culturally appropriate for the environment. I don't like the words cultural competency or cultural humility. It's being culturally appropriate where you are actually um, engaging in a dialogue as equals. Yeah. And this is not going to be easy. I mean, it's going to take time. It's not going to take five years. It's going to take time. But you know what they say, it's it's about the journey. It's not about the destination. It's about the changes that we're making along the way um, to eventually, you know, make this the new norm, you know, just accepting all people. Um, It will be the new norm, but we have to take the first step and we have to take it day by day and support one another. And um, like she said, really making sure that people are educated and that people understand and, and, and really fight for respect. And um, I think that by having those things in place, um, the journey is going to be long and it's hopefully it will be joyful. Right. But there's another piece of that too. We have to give ourselves permission to be wrong. We have to give ourselves permission to get it wrong, which means that when someone makes a mistake or um, they send out something that may have been offensive to one group that we don't get defensive, but we acknowledge what we did and say, what could we have done better? What could we have done differently? And moving forward, how can we do this together? And so it's very important to listen to those things. I'm sorry, Daniel, go ahead. No, I was just going to say it's a constant learning experience, you know, for everyone. And, and to your point, it's okay to be wrong. And it's okay if, if right now you feel like only within the past few weeks, you're learning about some of these things. That's okay. You know, and I think that it's important for people to recognize that it's never too late to change, right? And it's never too late to do the right thing. And I hope that today's dialogue may kickstart that for a few people. And keep it going, keep the conversation going. Mm-hmm. Yeah, well, thank you both so much for your insight and, and thoughtfulness with this. Uh, if you wanna learn more about Juneteenth, diversity uh, issues, including the recently launched Diversity Means More campaign, Go to mmheadlines.org. That's mmheadlines.org. And while you're there, you'll find other newsworthy stories from this past week. For instance, on Monday, the organization announced a monumental gift that will help establish the Elizabeth Weiser Caswell Diabetes Institute. And on Tuesday, CS Mott Children's Hospital revealed that it is one of only 24 hospitals nationwide to be ranked in all 10 pediatric specialties as compiled by U.S. News and World Report. For those stories and much, much more, once again, visit mmheadlines.org. All right, it's time for the weekly trivia contest. Last week, we asked listeners, Michigan Medicine was ranked as the number 15 hospital in the world by which publication? The answer was Newsweek. Congratulations to sonographer Nicole Contreras-Rodriguez, who sent in the correct answer. Nicole, a member of the Department of Communication, will be in touch shortly to help you claim your prize. Now for this week's question, Juneteenth is held on June 19th every year in order to recognize what significant event in American history. Once again, Juneteenth is held on June 19th every year in order to recognize what significant event in American history. 
Once you know the answer, email it to headlines at med.umich.edu for the chance to win a prize. That's all the time we have for this week. Thank you so much, Alfreda and Jennifer, for being here today and for sharing your thoughts. And as always, thank you to all of our listeners and viewers for everything you do for patients, families, and each other. We'll see you next week.